Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So hey, so this episode, we're going to dig even deeper into the whole growth mindset versus fixed mindset thing. Again, I'm super excited about this because the research is, you know, impeccable. Honestly, I mean, like I said, it's 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 a huge uh, sample that they use at one institution. They fixed a lot of variables in the space and then they focused on STEM. Right. And they focused on STEM. And and I'm going to tell you what it's like, look, I'm going to I'm going to try to make the not make this about my feelings and whatnot. But I've taken some heat on campus on my campus uh, lately because they feel like I'm picking on STEM and that I'm picking. It was like, you know, because this research is about STEM. And it's like, look, that just lets me know that people are have the wrong focus already. This article is not about STEM. This article is about teaching. Right. It's about teaching. It's about effective teaching. Right. What what makes us more effective teachers. Right. That's what the article is really about. However, the focus is on STEM. Right. They isolated STEM in order to do some things. Right. I mean, look, this is mathematical thinking. This is us trying to eliminate as many variables as possible as we're going about all of this. Right. Because if we start comparing STEM with the humanities, well, Whatever difference happens in that space, you'll just say it's like, well, it's just because it's the difference between STEM and the humanities, right? When they isolated STEM, they weren't picking on STEM. They were just saying, it's like, look, if we just focus in on STEM, then maybe we can actually try to, you know, right? And we control for that variable of what discipline this is, right? Well, what housing this, this, these disciplines are, we can control for that. Maybe we can get to some better answers. So let's talk about the effect of a growth mindset and really just locate it in STEM. Because quite honestly, you're going to find fixed mindset people everywhere. I'm sure that there are fixed mindset people in the arts and humanities. I'm sure that there's fixed mindset people in the in the social behavioral sciences and the health sciences and whatever else is out there. Yes. It's like I, I guarantee you that there are definitely people with teachers with fixed mindsets in those spaces. And so and so this is not about STEM. This is about teaching. And yet when we focus on STEM, we get to to really see this. Right that half of the challenge of closing equity gaps is to develop a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset mindset for STEM professors, right? I don't know what the effect is in the other disciplines. What we know is that when you isolate STEM though, right? We're not talking about any other disciplines. We're talking about STEM, right? Is that STEM folks can account for half of their equity gap through their mindset, right? Through their mindset, right? And so then, so let me remind us, right? So a fixed mindset believes, right? Fixed mindset professors would endorse the idea that intelligence and ability are fixed, right? Of the of the students, well, and then themselves, of course, are fixed innate qualities that cannot be changed or developed very much, right? While growth mindset professors endorse the idea that the ability that that they're in, that the student's ability is is malleable, it's changeable, and it can be developed through persistent good strategies and quality mentoring. 
And so then this research also found out something I think that is very crucial to understanding why they wanted to focus in on STEM is that they found that um, that the fixed mindset beliefs are not concentrated within any certain STEM discipline. So in other words, it means that the physics folks are not more fixed mindset or more not more likely to be fixed mindset professors than, let's say, chemistry folks, right? The biology folks are not more likely to be a fixed mindset than astronomy folks, right? So it's all, this is the argument, right? That it's all, that STEM produces this out of their culture, a fixed mindset. They produce this culture, right? They're not, they're not a victim of this culture. They produce this culture. They own what these, they, they own this mindset, if you would, right? And so then again, Right. When we're talking about the, 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 the STEM culture, right, that STEM culture promotes a fixed mindset. Right. It promotes a culture of genius. Right. Like you need to be a genius in order to do STEM. You need to be a genius to do this um, versus a growth mindset. Right. And so then what what should be the focus? So with this research, they're, they're saying it's like, look, the, the, the actual professor needs to be the focus here. Like really the actual professor trying to change your department's culture is not as effective as changing your own mindset, right? To trying to change your department's mindset is not as important as changing your own mindset because that was, again, that's what the research says. It says that your department's mindset doesn't have as much of an effect as the professor's mindset of of the student when they're teaching them, right? And so, and so then, again, this is personal, right? It's like you don't need to change the world. You don't even need to change your department. You just need to change your mindset, right? And again, this is this goes so far beyond STEM, and yet that was the focus because it, this is it, this is something very specific to the space, right? And you know, so when we're talking about this, I don't know if this is going to hurt or going to help. I really don't. But I, I was thinking about an analogy. I was really thinking about an analogy of thinking to myself: It's like, okay, let's say someone said that they were a farmer, right? That someone was a farmer. If they said that they were a farmer. And then you ask and, and then you start talking to them and you find out that this farmer really doesn't believe that anything that they can do is going to really drastically affect the crops that they're that they're, you know, taking care of. Right. Is that, you know, pretty much whatever gets produced is, is a matter of luck. Um, it's a matter of how strong the wheat is. Right. The, how strong the seed is. Um, and that there's really not a whole bunch that you can do as a farmer to help increase the crop. Now, when I say it like that, I mean, think about that. If you found a farmer that didn't believe that what they did really had an effect on how much of a crop was produced, would you even call that person a farmer? I mean, maybe they are. Maybe they just own the farm and that's why they're a farmer and whatnot. But it's like, are they really a farmer? Because when I think about a farmer, it's like, look, you 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 get into the science of it. You get into the, you know, it's like what 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 works better? What kind of plow works better? What kind of seed works best? What kind of watering system do I need? What kind of environment works best? What kind of what kind of seeds work best in 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 the environment that we have? You know, type of deal. And I get that, right? It's like, and and so I I think about that, and then I think about professors that think that have a fixed mindset, most likely they're thinking, it's like, look, there's really not a whole bunch that I could do because students' abilities are fixed. And I'm like, I don't I don't get how you can be, well, I get how you can be a professor and be that, but I don't get how you can be a teacher and think that. And so 
that is what it is. And you can be, like I said, you can be as upset about me as you want to be right now. But that is, that's something that I'm going to ask you as a question. If you, if you come at me with a fixed mindset, I'm going to be like, how are you a teacher? And if you say, well, I'm a professor. And so it really doesn't matter. I was like, okay, cool. Well, as long as if, if you're, well, I'm not going to be cool about that. But, um, if that's what your institution values or whatever, well, I can't do anything about that. But for the people who do value teaching, you, there's something that you could do. There is something that you can do, and that is develop this growth mindset. And so then when we're, when we're talking about this, right, it's like, so, so then what would be the effects of a professor that has a fixed mindset? Or not even a professor, but right, even the discipline and whatnot, what would be the effect, Right. What what does this look like? And so, um, you know, the, this research, it, it focuses, it talks about the structure of your courses. Right. It's going to affect um, how you communicate. Let's think about this. Right. So let's go going back to the top, the structure of our courses. Right. And so this is something that is really uh, perplexing me. And I and maybe I'm just the wrong one in the space, but I'm, I'm going to go in anyway. I'm going to go in anyway. You know, if you have an intro class. In, in the same way that I have an intro to sociology class and you have an introduction to chemistry class or an introduction to biology class, to me, when it comes to teaching, I, know, I should know, right, when I'm teaching an intro class that there's a lot of students who are not, who are non-majors in the space, right? They're taking this class as an elective of some way, shape, or form. And for me, when I'm thinking about this, right, if, like if you have a fixed mindset, if, you're, if your space is very fixed in its mindset, then you're thinking that you, it's only going to take, is you have to be exceptional. You're going to have to be exceptional in order to be in this discipline. And so then how do you teach? Well, this is something that continues to perplex me is that a lot of these intro classes in the, in the STEM spaces that they focus on math a whole bunch. And, and I know, I already know people are going to push back on me. It's like, look, math is math is math and I get it, but that's the thing that most people are scared of, right? Most people are afraid of math. And so then or are afraid or have really bad experiences in that space um, and whatnot. And so if you really want to get someone interested in your discipline, maybe the first thing that you want to show them is not math. <laughs> How about that? How about we start with not math? Because for me, as a sociologist, like, look, I'm going to tell you straight up. It's like I'm trying to recruit more people to become sociologists. I want more students to become sociologists. I really, truly do want that. And so when we talk about sociology, I don't jump in with all the terms and stuff like that. That's not where that's not where I need to go to. I don't know how excited a student is going to be about August Comp or Emil Durkheim or Karl Marx or W.B. Du Bois or you know, Margaret Mead and whoever is, you know, or, you know, um, or, or Patricia Hill Collins or whatever, all of our theorists and everything. It's like, I don't know if, how many students are going to be interested in that. What I do know is that students want to talk about their social world. And what I do then in my intro classes, let them talk about their social world and then show them as they're talking about it, about all the sociology that's in the thoughts that they have already, right? And um, because I, I truly believe it shouldn't take an exceptional person, right? An ex- a person of exceptional intelligence to understand why your discipline is useful and valuable and things like that. It truly shouldn't take an exceptional intelligence to understand that, right? Um, 
I mean, shoot, if we're talking about chemistry, there's chemistry in the water that we drink, right? There's chemistry in the water that we drink. There's there's physics in football, right? And so it's like your discipline is everywhere. Literally, it's everywhere. And yet you choose like to show like the ugliest side of it, the math side of it. That's really like, like it's a weed out. It's like you're weeding everyone out versus just trying to inspire people to want to work harder for their passion. And this is how I can say this for confidence, because in my, when, when I became an ethnic studies major when I was at UCSD, um, I was a math major at Maricosta. I had my AA in mathematics. And the re, what, part of the reason why I, was, I, ha, I focused on math is because um, I thought I was a bad writer. And um, actually, I was a bad writer. I ain't going to say I thought. It was like I was a bad writer. And I was a slow reader. I'm still a slow reader, still to this day. And, um, but when I, when I took ethnic studies, my first ethnic studies class with Professor Yen Espiritu, amazing, amazing, later on became my mentor and everything, um, I fell head over heels in love with ethnic studies. I fell so in love with it that I didn't care that it was reading and writing intensive. I just cared that this was a discipline that actually explained a lot of things in my life and in the in the social world that I saw. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever. I, I'm fired up right now. I'm fired up. So I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do in order to do to to do this discipline because I love it. Right. I love it. I love it. And so I'm willing to work hard for it. I'm passionate about it, so I'm willing to work hard for it. And so if we were to take those approaches in the way that we structure these introduction to STEM courses and whatnot, not start with the math, start with your passion. Why did you fall in love with chemistry in the first place? Why did you fall in love with biology in the first place? When did you realize that this was your passion and your center? When did you realize that? What were you looking at? What were you doing? I guarantee you that 99.99% of us didn't become STEM majors because of some mathematical equation or because you balanced some, uh, you know, some elements or something like that. I guarantee you that that is for 99.99% of us that that's not where you started, right? And so you start with your passion because that's what the students are looking for. They're looking for that passion. They identify with that passion. And when you say, hey, this is why I'm excited about this. I am passionate about this discipline. And here's why. When you say the why part, it better not be some equations popping up on the damn board. It better be about, yo, I was really excited about in chemistry, I don't well, I don't know what you were excited about because I'm not a chemistry major. I could I could tell you all day why it was why I'm an ethnic studies major um, and whatnot and what I was excited about. But it's like I, I don't know what you were excited about that got you into that space. But like I said, but I'm I'm 99.999 percent confident that it wasn't because you saw some math equations go up on the board. Now, for the math major people, that might be different. And so that that that, that may be different. And yet at the same time. I would even beg the question in that space, is that really what you were excited about, right? And so then, right, and now, right, if you focus on chemistry, like in the water that we drink, man, you could talk about racism and classism in the water that we drink, right, with with Flint, Michigan. Like if you wanted to, to take it to that other level, you could talk about, um, you could talk about sexism and homophobia in football. Now, remember, you don't have to do it. And yet at the same time, if you're trying to make something culturally relevant, it's, it's really hard to make a math problem culturally relevant, but you can 
right? When you st- when you start with something culturally relevant, you can backtrack into the math of it or the science of it, right? But to start with the science of it and then expect right expect people to get excited about the tail end of it, it's like no, start with the tail end first and then backtrack into the math stuff because then people will be excited about the discipline and then they might be able to change their outcome based on that. If if they're excited about it, they're willing to work hard, right? If they're excited about it, they're willing to, um, you know, if you want to get people excited about something, then uh, maybe you're willing to mentor them, right? And these are the things that growth mindset professors believe will make a difference. And they do, they do, flat out, they do. So not only are we talking about the structure of your course, right? But we're also talking about how we communicate to students, right? This is the second part. And whatever it is that you communicate to students is either going to be encouraging or discouraging, right? It's like, I, I, you know, let's think about that. And, and so then if you're a fixed mindset professor, um, here's something to think about, right? It's like, what, what would that even sound like? Um, I had this professor, um, he was in my math class, or he was taught a math class. And whenever a student got a question wrong, he would always say, and your bridge just collapsed. And he would kind of say it, I think he was intending it as a joke, but I'm going to tell you, there's not a lot of people in that class who took that as a joke. Now, please don't misunderstand. I thought it was funny as hell because he was never talking to me because I was doing well in my math classes. But for the students who weren't doing well, that wasn't a joke. That was them being told that they were stupid. He also would say things like, "Um, that's a math you know, 20 question, we're in math 103. And so that's, you know, that's not an acceptable question in this space. I'm not going to answer it. Like literally he would say things like that. And please don't misunderstand. There's a time and a place for every question. There's a, there's a better space to ask certain questions and whatnot. But when he said that, and when he said that, he was literally just saying that was a stupid question. Right. And then when you get into a STEM space. Right. And then you have a fixed mindset professor. Basically, what they just said was there was you're stupid. Why am I going to waste my time with you? Right. Now, remember, right. When we're talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset and, and all of this is that, you know, there's there's students and this is happening to students and their, you know, their bodies, if you would. We're, we're like we're, we're talking about students here, but some students are affected more by a statement like that than others. Right. And research shows that it's those underrepresented minority groups that have a harder time with that, because not only are they hearing it from this professor, but they probably heard it from like a lot of their K through 12 teachers. And now they're having it said again. And not only that, but then there's all this social reinforcement about underrepresented minorities and their intelligence. And so it's a thing. Right. And so this is this this is a, a way for us to address our language in the class. And um, and like even if you think that there is some kind of joke that you're saying, you might want to chill on that and really think about what are you really communicating to the students? And please don't misunderstand this. I'm hard on people too, okay? Don't you ever misunderstand. Don't ever think it's like, oh, he's just soft on folks. Look, look I do listen to people. I do listen to the students and their um, and stories and everything, yes. But I don't think that that's soft. I think that that's, honestly, I think that that's academic. And I also think it's part of my job. But I do push uh, hard on uh, on some students. But the students that I push hard on are students that I have a relationship with. 
if I have a relationship with that student, well, you know what? I can tell them. It's like, look, I think you're really messing up right now and you need to get your life right. So what are we going to do in order to correct this? But that's only with people that I have a relationship with, right? If I don't have a relationship with, I'm going to say, it's like, hey, you know what? Is everything okay? Because I noticed that you haven't turned in the last few assignments and I'm really concerned about your progress, right? But if it's somebody I know, oh, yeah, I, I, I'll go in on them. I'll go in on them, um, especially if I know that they're like horsing around or whatever. Right. I mean, for, for real. And so but that's what I mean by. Right. It's like you can you can have a fixed mindset and it's not I'm not even telling you like what to say. What I'm saying is if you're going to say something like that, at least build a relationship with a student. If you're going to say something like super harsh. Right. Um, build a relationship with them. Tr- build that trust up so that when you critique them, you say, hey, you got to work harder in order to be a chemist. Then they'll believe you. Because they have a relationship with you and they'll trust your assessment rather than just your your overall critique, right? And so then we also have to remember that the things that we're saying are encouraging, right? They're either encouraging or discouraging, right? And, you know, when I imagine a fixed mindset professor, well, actually, I don't have to imagine it. I actually experienced this, um, but I was a TA at the time and um, this teacher um, he kept on saying this was at USC and, and anytime a student was uh, getting a D or below, he would literally just tell us, you should recommend that that student drops versus, hey, you know what? You should work with that student and see if you can you know, help them along here because they're struggling. Again, there is a time and a place for students to drop and to encourage a student to drop a class. And yet at the same time, it's like, what's the goal here? As a teacher, right? It was like when you're making this statement, not uh, for in this particular case, it was the TAs, but when you're making this statement, what are you really saying to this student? What are you really saying about this student, right? And this part, I, I guarantee you that the professor didn't know anything about the student that he was just telling to drop, the students that he was just telling to drop. He didn't know anything about them. And so to me, right, this is like the epitome of where a growth mindset, or excuse me, a, a fixed mindset would just come in and go like, wow. This person is just really bad. And why am I going to waste my time with them? Right. Well, a growth mindset. Look, this I don't I don't know how people are going to feel about this, but it's like, you know, a growth mindset, it it should affect your grading also. And so when I think about like things that I can do to encourage and and to 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 show students that they can grow, it, it, it can it can be about grading also. Right. And so if, if students are doing really poorly in the class or let's say, you know, over half the class fails a test or something like that, then why not? Right. If, if we're talking about growth. Right. Why not give students a chance to correct all the mistakes and then explain why they made the mistakes? And then um, and then at the end, this is actually something that I've, I've done. Um, and then at the end, tell you three things that they can do better for next time. Right. Um, and then also, and this is to me is just as important as the, the three things is that also say one thing that I can do to help them do better in the course. Cause think about it, right? If I want, if I have a growth mindset for my students, then that should also mean that I have a growth mindset for me. Like I can become a better teacher Right. And so maybe the most important thing in all of this is literally to believe that we can become better teachers. Right. 
And then if we believe we can become better teachers, then we know our students can become better students. We know our students can do better in class. And so now this is where I would argue that the whole student equity movement grows from, right? Not only can we become better teachers, but also students can become better. And, and with that, there's, there's no, there should be no racial boundaries or boundaries around sex, gender, and sexuality or about class or whatever that should determine, that should predetermine someone's success in my course. And so that's why I asked that last question is for the students to critique me because I always want to get better. I always want to grow and I'm always willing to listen, right? I'm always willing to listen. That doesn't mean I'm always going to do what they say. I ain't going to lie to you. It's not like I'm always going to do what they say um, because there's a reason why I do a lot of the things that I do. And um, and then it gives me an opportunity to explain why I do what I do. Um, and, and so I think that that really uh, helps balance things out. And then when they know why you're doing what you're doing and, and you explain that to them, then uh, again, you're building relationship rather than just telling someone that you're stupid or that you know you're you're not you don't belong here you're not worthy right we're always building students up and that is to me the crux of all of this growth mindset stuff right it's like we build students up because we're teachers and that's what we're supposed to do anyway folks i'm done for today hope you learned something peace thank you for listening to this episode of reteach If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it all of them, not just the ones that are good already.